Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone and with me, as always, is my co-host Rob Lamorgis. Who has switched from J&B Scotch to just drinking poisoned milk (laughs) 24-7 at this point, Chris. Because... I, again, I don't know why. I, I'm not. It's, I just have this compulsion to drink poisoned milk. It's amazing. It's it's we're 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 at episode nine of our get me another bird with the crystal plumage series, and and I won't lie to you. At nine weeks in, it's taking a toll on our brains. Uh, you know, I'm seeing black glove killers around every corner. Uh, I, Rob is is drinking nothing but poisoned milk. I, I hope he has an antidote, but you know, we'll 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 find out. Uh, and today we'll be looking at the work of one of the most prolific Giallo directors whose work we haven't touched upon yet, Umberto Lenzi. In the late 1960s, prior to the success of Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Lenzi directed several Gialli starring American actress Carol Baker, including films such as Orgasmo, So Sweet, So Perverse, and A Quiet Place to Kill. These films were influenced by European film noir as well as the works of Alfred Hitchcock. While Lenzi made films in a wide variety of genres over the course of his career, including being one of the pioneers of the Italian cannibal film, uh, oh, in the wake oh, of Bird... <laughs> oh, that's why Riz does some of the music. I think yes. the next one, not this one. This all, oh, it's all coming together. It's all falling into place, yes. Yeah. In the wake of Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Lenzi returned to the giallo genre, and today we'll be talking about two of those post-Crystal Plumage films, starting with 1972's Seven Bloodstained Orchids. <laughs> Written by Umberto Lenzi and Roberto Gianviti, Seven Bloodstained Orchid stars Antonio Sabato, Uski Glass, and Pier Paolo Capolini. For the record, that's Antonio Sabato, not Antonio Sabato Jr., although my wife came downstairs while I was watching the movie and she was like, how do I know that guy? Because they look similar enough. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah. oh, how do I know that guy? But it's the father. Oh, there you go. And it's, uh, I'm just going to say it right now. This <laughs> movie, Chris, <laughs> I think it might be the platonic ideal, as you like to say, oh. of the non-psychological, crime-oriented giallo. It has everything. It has it everything does. a giallo is supposed to have. It has gloves. It has poisoned milk. It has birds in cages. It has a death on a train. If if it's like the killer was watching all the same Gialli that we've been watching yeah. and carrying out the playbook step by step. Yeah. Random weird artwork, artist's lofts, ornate mirrors. I think there's a mannequin in here. Yeah, there is. There is a mannequin in there. Absolutely. In the in the, the girl's loft, because she's kind of a model. Yeah. No, it's like a Giallo Mad Lib. <laughs> yeah, I love it, though. Oh, um, oh, it's I, I, I enjoyed it. It's We open with a black Mercedes-Benz driving around the streets of an Italian city. A killer clad in classic giallo black gloves and wielding a switchblade murders an old woman in her home. And then the camera focuses on a photo on the nightstand of a young woman with very dramatic eye makeup. 
And then we cut to a bunch of prostitutes because we need the sleaze factor. It wouldn't be a giallo, wouldn't be this kind of giallo without a little bit of sleaze. A bunch of prostitutes waiting for their clients. And one of them is the girl from the picture. And she walks over to a client driving a black Mercedes Benz. And I'm like, girl, do not get in that car. And certainly don't go to a cornfield with this uh, person, whoever it may be. Honestly, that's no. that's pretty good advice in general. Never naked in a cornfield. Never uh, naked in a I've, cornfield, I've Chris. never, I've never, thankfully, no, that's never happened to me. Her client takes her to a cornfield to have sex and then proceeds to beat her to death with like what looks like a pipe or club and or like a piece of wood and it's just honestly it's one of the most brutal kills we've seen in the series not just simply the physical violence although that is certainly part of it but like the terror on the girl's face is just like oh my god like there's something really upsetting about that first murder i uh i will read from my notes chris <laughs> the words this opening does not mess around absolutely yeah no there's no like 10 minutes of what's going on or like <laughs> easing you into the world it is just nope this is giallo nope you're it's gonna grab you by the collar yep, yep. and and the the uh the in the dead girl's hand the killer places this half moon pendant that looks like it might be covered with like zodiac symbols or something we'll get into that so the police come, the police are, you know, investigating the crime. They, they determine that the girl was known as La Toscana, even though she was actually from the South, either Sicily or Calabria. And this poses a real quandary for one of the detectives in particular. Like he can't get his head around it. And he keeps asking through the whole movie, like, why was this Southern girl called La Toscana? Like he really just, it, it really is a sticking point for this dude. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing. And then we cut to the Italian, it, it's the, I, I'm convinced that it's the same chain of dress shops from He Knows You're Alone. <laughs> it's just the Italian, like maybe it's the, the original store and the Staten Island one was the second one, you know, after it came over from Italy where, uh, oh, Ju yeah. Julia Torrisi is, is picking out a dress for her upcoming wedding to fashion designer Mario Gerosa. Now, I'm like, ooh, another Gialli set in the fashion world. Interesting. We haven't really seen that since Blood and Black Lace. Yeah, and, and this overall feels like um, this is a movie, even though it's what, 72? 72, yeah. 72? Yep. So it's a few years in, uh, which I th remember each year of an Italian cinema trend in the 70s <laughs> is seven years yes. in regular <laughs> cinema years. Yes, yes. So we are, we are late in the trend, even though it's really been about, you know, about 26 months. <laughs> yeah. But this is, imagine like Raiders comes out and we're talking about something made in 1996 at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, it's, at this point we've reached the mummy. Like it's, yeah. it's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, with this, it feels very 60s. Um, yeah. It's, it's not, it, it feels like, and you know, with, and he was making these prior too, Birdman, yeah. with the crystal plumage, as you said, this feels more stylish like that. It feels, and definitely more grounded. Um, you're not doing as much of the psychological stuff. And that includes then you're not doing stylistic directorial stuff to match it. Right. Rob, but what he you makes doing, up for it in that second movie though, oh, I mean, not to, well, not to put the cart before the horse, but Oh my God. Yeah. Does, uh, Oh, 
Fascinating. Yes. Well, fascinating. We will we'll get there and we get there. Oh yeah, but I mean, here's the thing: is is you know you thought oh he has to do with the fashion world. It's like it's no. This dude could have been an accountant. Like it didn't matter. Like it was just he. It was like that was just happened to be what he did. Uh, Julia, she gets a phone call at the bridal shop, but then the call hangs up. And and shortly thereafter, another girl, Kathy, uh, gets a similar phone call at an art gallery show that she's attending that I think Mario is at. Uh, and she's subsequently stalked after coming home. And she realizes that something is amiss when her three cats appear to have been poisoned by milk. Yes. Poisoned milk, Rob. I can't believe it's back. Poisoned milk. <laughs> Can't believe it! But I do love that because when you come in, or when she comes in, you do get like the terrible cat screeching oh, yeah, for yeah. help, and it's very disturbing. And you you have to travel with her, listening to this. Just, I mean, it it's akin to hearing a, a baby cry. As in, they're both sounds I don't want to hear. Yeah, two of them already dead, and the one is just kind of screeching its its death throes. It's oh. uh. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it's, nasty. it's it's something. But but the milk gambit because of the cats, the milk gambit failed, and the killer resorts to strangling Kathy to death, and then he leaves the same half moon pendant on the body. So then, following their wedding, Mario and Julia are on the train, and it's like the minute. The minute Mario leaves that compartment, <laughs> the killer strikes. Like, yep. and and I'm not sure how he got in there. Like, he just seemed to be in there. And and a train conductor hears the struggle and enters, and he causes the killer to flee, and not before killing Julia. I'm genuinely surprised that she was dead. Like, it's like it cuts from the struggle on the train, and you see her lying there, and I'm like, I think she's breathing. And then it's like her funeral, and I'm just like, oh shit. Like that, that that was unexpected. And the killer, he's got the trench coat, the hat, the a very blood and black lace esque mask. Yes, right, covering it, but it's a different color. I think. Yeah, it's like one. a tan one rather than the black. Yeah, it's. I have another note, and I want to call this out because, you know, sometimes we talk more about certain things and and less about others. Right? Obviously, we don't discuss every frame of the film. No, no. You've 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 been talking. We've been going about ten minutes on this movie now, right? Yeah, I have to say this is the point at which, uh, after that murder on the train, where I wrote more giallo happens in the first fifteen minutes of this film. Which, by the way, we are only fifteen minutes into this film, <laughs> and more giallo has happened than in the entirety of Short Night of Glass Dolls. It oh, there's no question. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I was really surprised that she was dead. Like I was like that just especially because I I was like I thought I saw her breathing. It was so weird, and then. And then, you know, like the, the, the Mario's at the police station. He's looking at pictures from the funeral to see like who didn't belong and that kind of thing. And everybody who's there seems to be people that you'd expect to be there. Family, friends, co-workers. And the great part is you get big telephoto lens yeah. shot surveillance photos. <laughs> yes. lead, and then you're looking at the, the like slides and photos. And I'm like, again. How giallo? <laughs> if only they had projected a giant fingerprint, could it have been more giallo? <laughs> use, the, use a computer the size of a city block yeah. to, to whittle the suspect pool down. They are missing the computer in this one. You oh, are I, right. lo I yes. love the old school computers. Yes. Um, but like, I, at this time, I'm also asking, how did the cops know it was the same killer? I know it was the same killer because I'm watching the movie. But how do the cops know? And then they answer it. Because 
The killer didn't have time to place that half moon pendant, so he very helpfully sent it in the mail. Like if you if you missed out, he will happily forward to you the 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 pendant by mail. Just to talk about that though, because there are other times in this movie that this kind of thing happens, that where there are sequences where they treat it like where they cut between scenes, and it's as if the people in the second scene have seen the first scene, even though they have not. <laughs> right. Right. Like the, like when the police are interrogating, uh, and they're trying to get them to confess to the murder, you know, in a little bit here. Yeah. And then we cut to Mario and her and they're talking about the exact suspect that the police were questioning, but that they had no idea was in the police station. <laughs> I feel that there is uh, what do they call it? It's it's a transitive narrative property. <laughs> The transitive property of plot happens in this movie a lot. I mean, truth be told, <laughs> that both of these films today leave a lot of unanswered questions. Not major ones, but like like little things that I'm just like, wait, I still don't know how that happened. I still don't know what happened there. So a moment later, so we have this scene in the, in the police station with Mario. And then a moment later, we have another scene with Mario and the police in Julia's hospital room. Turns out she's alive. And I'm like, I knew it. I saw her breathing. I knew that she was still alive. <laughs> and the cops and Mario are going to fake her death to keep her safe from the killer, which logistically seems like a lot. I mean, aside from her new husband, does anyone else know she's alive? Her parents, all the people at the funeral? I mean, that just seems crazy. Well, what's even crazier is how they just don't actually do this plan. (laughs) Because apparently pretending you're dead means just running around everywhere investigating crime with Mario. Like, everywhere. (laughs) Exactly! She's not really hiding out. There's no pretending whatsoever. (laughs) They don't even try. Like, Julia identifies the first victim, the the prostitute who's killed, as Inez Tamburini, who worked as a maid at a hotel that her family owned a couple of years earlier. And the cop is still going on about how he can't figure out why she's La Toscana when she was from the South. And and originally, she they they kept having to hammer her a little bit because she had no connection. She could not think of any connection with the other victims. And then slowly this happens, and then... But I think this happens, but still not the connection to the other victim until later, right? No, the the other victim yeah. is still it doesn't that doesn't come until later. And uh, you know, uh, Julia remembers a guy named Rao who was the dead girl's lover, and immediately starts to. But immediately she she says his his name. Well, maybe it's this guy, and then immediately starts to have doubt about it. But that doesn't stop the cops from picking him up and beating a confession out of him. Now come on, Rao, confess. Admit it, Rao, you're the murderer. Never met no. Katie Adams. Ines Tamburini, you knew her. Julia Tracy, you knew her. Yes, but it wasn't me that killed Well, let's say the conductor recognized you. He couldn't, Lieutenant. I wasn't there. Then why the hell were you Tuesday night? I'm innocent, I swear it. I'm innocent. I want to talk to my lawyer. Tuesday night, Rao, you're going to tell us where you were? Go on, confess, Rao! Tuesday? I forget, Lieutenant. You killed the English woman that night, didn't you? No! Tuesday night, Rao! What, something happens in this movie that I... <laughs> Yeah, I can't get my brain around. Um, Julia Lee gets out of the hospital. And to her shock, she gets in the car. Mario's going to drive her home. And Mario is using the half-moon pendant that was sent to her as a key ring. What? First, first, isn't that evidence? Like, shouldn't it be a ba- in a bag in a police station somewhere? Second of all, even if the cops are like, go ahead and take it, why on earth would you use the pendant sent to your wife 
by her attempted murderer who has killed two other girls that you know of. We've watched a lot of Gialli movies so far. That might be the most insane, inexplicable thing in any of these movies. I swear to God. I can answer both of your points so easily, Chris. Oh, oh, good. Uh, number one, as to the evidentiary status of said keychain, uh, as you well know, this is never going to reach a court of law because <laughs> justice only happens in the streets. It's true. It's true. Number two, if anything else has, uh, Giallo has taught me as far as the psychological impact of using this key ring, it's like, who cares? The ladies are hysterical. Why don't they calm down, Chris? Why don't they calm down? It's a perfectly good keychain. He needed one. But you're going to spend good lira on something else when you got this? <laughs> oh god oh my god yeah and, and it's now that she sees it being used as a keychain julia remembers it like oh you didn't remember it before but now that's on a set of keys you remember that that one of the hotel guests you know like a couple of years ago there was an american at the hotel that used the same keychain. i was like oh well now she gets it now she remembers and that's the real reason that the keychain yeah. up being used <laughs> like you didn't need yeah. it you could had to recognize it in the hospital like the oh and the killer sent this oh i recognize that from some american who stayed at the hotel yeah um so mario is supposed to be dead wife zipped down to the hotel that used to be owned by her family like maybe someone's gonna recognize her she's supposed to be dead but no it doesn't matter I mean, my guess is she's not missing her Thursday Tai Chi class either. Yeah. (laughs) Or getting her acupuncture with a railroad spike. Uh (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. Like the Giallo world is this alternate dimension where it's the the rules are not the same. They are not the same at all. Everything's weird there. Pleasure is pain. Milk is poison. Up is down. Oh God! And d- d- don't don't have a cat. No, uh, don't. Do just not don't. want a cat. Just in this don't world. do it. It's no. not even a metaphorical one. So they they go they go visit the the, the hotel. They do it twice because the first visit's kind of useless. And then driving away, Julia remembers that the hotel has to keep records of its guests for five years. I think isn't it? Yeah, five, five, five years. Five and it was year two records. years earlier. Yeah, it's and and there's like this Byzantine set of deductions about like trying to figure out what women were in the hotel on a particular night two years earlier. And it's like, oh, no, they couldn't have stayed one night. Not at that time of the year. Yeah, the Saturday page was ripped out, but the Friday and Sunday pages were not. And and down further, at some point, they reason, uh, I cannot figure out why, that that it was a message from the killer who wanted them to know, maybe, I think, I at one point. They... It, it, I, I, I played that part of the movie a couple times because I was really trying to understand the logic. And I just was kind of like, all right, I don't, I don't understand what the, 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 the set of calculations that they, they, they use to come up with this. Basically, a list of seven women who were in the hotel on that particular night. And it includes Julia, who is presumed dead, as well as Inez, who is dead, and five other guests. One of those guests died more than a year earlier. And then you have the two murdered women, and Julia is thought to be dead. And that leaves three women on the list. One of them is on vacation in Australia. So there's two women that they focus on because, you know, they may be in danger. And the first name on the list is Elena Markey. 
And unfortunately, she turns out to be somewhat difficult to track down because she's in a mental health facility. And and Lindsay, you know, he really cuts this thing to make Mario look as guilty as possible. Like there's a scene where he's on the phone and then they cut to make it look like he's calling at the same time the killer is calling to locate Elena and... I get it. I get it. It's 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 a red herring, but clearly this guy is not the killer because you're just trying so hard to make me think he is. Yeah, which you know, if they'd done the reverse psychology and it had wound up being Mario, oh, they, oh <laughs> I would have been genuinely surprised. It's uh... I love how terrible the staff is at this psychiatric facility. They are the worst, and uh, and well, Elena is like freaking out, uh, you know, that someone's after her. Yes, I forget exactly what she's seen, but there's something for real or the phone call or whatever, right? And then the, essentially, the nurse just ushers her back in, is like, nah, nah, you're, you're crazy. And then as soon as she shuts that door, <laughs> like, <laughs> lights go out and thunder claps, and, and, and the killer's there, and she starts screaming, and like the people, the, the nurses and stuff just ignore her. They're like, ah, she's crazy. She'll get, they're just sick and tired of it, man. Like they, they're like, whatever. And this is, I think my favorite shot in the movie at this point, when she gets attacked, where you get that, uh, she's at the door and she turns around and then she winds up fainting. But as you're coming in, as camera's coming in, you have both of the killer's black gloves, uh, you know, one's on left frame, left one frame, right. And like, she's in the middle as you're like getting closer. It is, uh, I, I loved it. She, she faints. And then the killer, what does the killer do? Because he's seen other Gialli. He drowns her in the bathtub. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's and, and her face is under. It's like, it's like the reverse of the shot from, Blood and Black Lace, where you were under the water looking up. Oh, yeah. Here, you're above the water looking at her face. Her face is looking up. And I believe you get, like, the the quick zoom on the faces here. Yeah. I think maybe on both of them, even. So if you were worried that I hadn't mentioned quick (laughs) zooms into face extreme close-ups for your Giallo checklist... Uh, it's definitely in it's here. definitely here. It's definitely here. And Mario and Julia, they get to Elena Markey's mental facility just a little too late. Mario, who goes in, actually has an encounter with the killer. Like a killer, like him, him and the killer, like literally kind of run into each other almost. And that cuts all the tension of them trying to make me think it's Mario because they've just spent like, you know, like 10 minutes making me try to think it's Mario. And here he is. He's it's clearly two different dudes. Well, what if they were in cahoots? It could be, you know, they could be in cahoots. You know, who knows? It could, you know, it's, it's Giallo land. Anything goes. It could be anything. Everyone we've seen could be a murderer as we've also seen in other Giallo. Everyone yes. could be a murderer. Anyway, the police then track down the next name on the list, a school teacher named Conchetta De Rosa, and warn her that she might be in danger. In the meantime, Mario decides to perfect his his sketch artist credentials by he visits some guy who saw the American. I wasn't sure who that guy was. Like I wasn't clear on on how yeah. who that guy was. He was just there, but like he saw the American and he starts doing like he takes upon himself to do a sketch of this guy. And it's the most rudimentary sketch of a human face I have ever seen. It may as well be a smiley face. It is devoid of any detail. And he's he's showing everybody in Italy this sketch. Everybody. Every, he goes around everybody. And everybody has a suspicious reaction to it. It's like, 
you know, there's one guy who says, oh, the, the guy who's an American. He was a Protestant who went to mass. That's weird. They go to a Catholic priest. They go to a Lutheran minister. And, and every one of them, as soon as Mario, like, leaves, having shown them the sketch, the camera pushes in with, like, suspicion with a capital S. They all have the suspicious look after Mario, every single person. It's amazing. They're all, it could be, it's the whole of Italy. Maybe Italy just did it all. You know, I don't know. Yeah. uh, There's one person who's less suspicious than all the others. A character that I call random old guy. (laughs) Yeah. Because random old guy has some advice that there is absolutely no reason why you would want to follow it. But they do. Yes, that's true. And even more improbably, that advice is good advice. Rob, what's that advice? That advice... Go look for the hippies. Go find the dirty old hippies and talk to them. They know all kinds of freaky stuff. Once again, we come up Italian dis- like disgust and dismay of hippies. It's amazing. <laughs> And and he goes and he shows it to hippies and one of the hippies says, "Oh yeah, that guy looks like a friend of Barrett." I mean, uh, you know, and 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 that dude was probably so high we have no idea what he actually saw. Well, cuz cuz we could I I'm going to derail us cuz we have to talk <laughs> about the the hippie freakout cafe that he goes to where he's getting this information. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it it really does look like they redressed uh like the coffee shop from um oh my gosh a bucket of blood oh bucket of blood oh yeah the yeah bucket yeah, yeah. Of blood coffee shop but they yes. hippied it out slightly they've gone from beatnik to hippie uh and they only have half of it <laughs> um, and then everyone is like half naked just walking around like they've never tried a drug in their life but they've seen <laughs> jesus christ superstar and this is what they're gonna base being high on you know what it looks like it looks like a hippie den from the late 60s version of Dragnet. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, but with nudity. But like, I could I could see Jack Webb and Harry Morgan walking onto set at any minute. It's like, whenever they'd have those late 60s episodes of Dragnet where they'd have to interview the hippies about some kind of freak out. So he goes and talks to Barrett. And Barrett, uh, you know, he's a douchebag. And, you know, and he tells Mario that the American he's looking for is Frank Saunders. And that Frank Saunders got, and I quote, hung up on a girl and never came around again. Uh, and and while, while, oh, I should mention, while this is all going on, while, while Mario's doing his hippie investigation, Conchetta De Rosa is found dead in a confessional after the priest that Mario spoke to earlier reported she hadn't shown up for church. And so she's dead too. And the cops... Like, see her go into the church, and they're like, oh, she's going into that confessional booth. Right. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. And they're like, oh, maybe we should go check on her. Dead. Dead. (laughs) And this is why you you don't go through the the justice system in a giallo film. No, you got to take it upon yourself. strike while the iron is hot. Um, Around this time, the press starts to call the killer the half-moon killer. Presumably here, once once these other two people are dead, the guy that they beat the confession out of has been released. Like, I would hope that uh that that whatever DeMeo or whatever got got on with his life and you know I'm sure he didn't get a settlement because I feel like that was not the way things happened in Italy in 1972. No, I I actually think he emigrated to <laughs> Staten Island where he became 
the newlywed killer. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's all connected. Uh, Mario makes his way to an abandoned house that is somehow connected to Frank Saunders. And what is he receives a telephone call while he's there telling him where Frank Saunders can be found. Now, first, it's amazing that the telephone is still working because this is clearly a house nobody's living in. Who's paying the bill? And second, how did whoever make the call know he would be there at that exact moment? Like, it's not like, oh, he could be tailing him and have a cell phone. They weren't invented yet. It's the transitive narrative property, Chris. <laughs> Characters behave as if they're watching the movie yet acting in it all the all time the in this time. thing. Uh, that, that call brings Mario to a cemetery where he finds the grave of Frank Saunders. Saunders was killed two years earlier in a car crash where he was the passenger. Uh, the driver was an unknown woman who left the scene and consequently left Frank to die. And someone has left seven red-tinged orchids on the grave. Martin includes that the killer knew the driver was one of seven women who were at the hotel that night and left Frank to die, but he doesn't know which of them they are, so he's killing them all one by one. As one does. As one yeah. does. Uh, meanwhile, the final name on the list, Anna Sartori, returns from Australia with her husband. And in a move that defies all logic, the police decide not to tell Anna that she's in danger. They tell her husband and concoct a scenario to protect her without her suspecting anything. I don't know what to say. It, it sounds so unreal. I, yes, it does. But there were four dead women to prove it. Correction, five women. Five victims, Signor Palmieri. And we want to prevent your wife from becoming the sixth. Yes, I agree with you. But what worries me Yes, is... we've already taken into account her emotional balance, uh, which, according to your mother-in-law, it's a bit... Shall we say, fragile, she suffered a shock a while back, and she's never completely recovered. And now this. Oh, God only knows how she'll react. We'll use the drug bit as our excuse. That way we should be able to protect her without her suspecting anything. This will not go well, I'll just tell you right out. It will, it's just not, it's not going to go Yeah, Anna, Anna wishes that her husband was just using a half-moon keychain, because this is far, <laughs> far worse. The, the lengths this movie will go to to do what it wants to is really <laughs> just brave. It, it's, it's brave. It's amazing. <laughs> so Mario goes back to Barrett's house to find him strung out on heroin. And Mario deduces that that he and Frank, Barrett and Frank, were lovers and that and that Frank left him for a girl and therefore Barrett was upset. That's that's the gist of that scene and that he's, you know, on, on heroin. Uh, meanwhile... Anna Sartori is sick of hiding for no reason because nobody's told her that she's in mortal danger. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I swear to God, I'm not making it up. She sends her twin sister, her identical twin sister, out to do errands and pick up her kid. And the killer, as you might guess, brutally murders the twin sister with a power drill. And I just have a note that says, holy shit, there's a lot of blood here. Yeah, but I, I do want to circle back. It turns out the cops and the husband were right to not tell her because she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened to her. That's true. They were right all along. I mean, you know, the twin sister got it, you know, but, you know, that's that was not who they were trying to protect. I mean, just that they pulled the twins, the identical twin sister card this late in the game is amazing. 
Yeah, and it's uh, probably, I guess, another, uh, you know, that's on the sub checklist. That's not every film. (laughs) It's got to be special. That's, yeah, exactly. It's special. Um, (laughs) And so Julia decides she's going to draw at the killer by revealing she's actually alive. And I'm thinking there must have been a lot of surprised family members uh, at that revelation. And the plan goes sideways when, I, I swear to God, I'm not also not making this up. Mario forgets his keys or something. So he has to break into his own house and he breaks the glass and that causes Julia to faint. Yeah. And I mean, he's actually got a line. Damn it. This never would have happened if I hadn't broken the window. Idiot. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're going to put our spoiler line because we're getting to, to how this thing all shakes out. So Mario goes back to Barrett's house again and he finds him dead by suicide. And the, the police conclude that, that Barrett was the killer seeking revenge on the women for Frank's death. Mario determines that Anna Sartori was the woman driving the car that night. And, and she reveals that Frank had a brother and that the brother was the one that gave him a half moon medallion. <laughs> Like, there's a, there's an exchange there where it's like... So you're not from the police? The fact is that I'm married to Giulia Torresi, the proprietor of the uh, hotel where you stayed two years ago in Orbitello. Do you remember? Yes, but I don't understand. My wife was on that murderer's list. Just the same as you were on it. But it's all over now. That man committed suicide, didn't he? Sure, it's over if that guy really was the murderer. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. She accepts that as an answer. It's really, lady, you're going to be satisfied with, oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. Well, and this is probably why they never told her her life was in danger to begin with. It's, 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 so Anna describes the brother because she had seen the brother and Mario realizes that he's seen him before and races home. And the killer turns out to be the priest that Mario had talked to earlier. He reveals that he killed Barrett and staged it to look like a suicide. And he was killing all the women because he knew one of them was in the car and responsible for his brother's death. He didn't know which one. So he did the priestly thing and decided to kill them all. Now, And was this a real priest? Because I honestly don't know. Or was he <laughs> Who just cares? Pretending? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I got, I got, like, it's... Mario arrives, there's a prolonged struggle, it ends in a swimming pool where Mario drowns the priest, and 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 I have to say, so this is our third movie with a killer priest, and, and I won't even mention the names of the other two in case people are not watching this in order, like, let, let those revelations stay behind the line, but like... And, and rest assured, more movies have a priest than have a killer priest, so just because you see a priest, don't think automatically it's the killer... There's a lot of priests in these things. But by the way, check that off your list as well. Uh, priest and on the sub checklist, killer priest. <laughs> what's, yes. what's amazing is this was actually the first of the killer priest movies to be released. Oh, it came out before the other two. And, 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 you know, unlike the other two, I've had I've, in my research, I found nothing concerning like distribution problems or objections from the Catholic church. I guess I, it's a personal motive though. That's what I was thinking. It's about yeah. the brother. It's not, it's not Catholicism is evil. Yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. for, you know, like, I'm killing these people for some kind of it's like he could have been anything like he's a priest. But like I said, just like just like Mario, he could have been an accountant. Didn't matter. And I forget within, you know, it's dubbed when I'm watching it. Is the killer priest also American? Did no one notice that he had an American accent or is he just really 
fluent in Italian. We know we have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I. I, I it's. It's. My brain is starting to break in in week nine. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I. I didn't dislike this movie. As you said, it's kind of like. It's 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 almost like giallo by committee. Yeah, like it's like oh, we need all the elements, and and we're gonna put them in. But it, it's not unsuccessful. Or I would say it's like a giallo cut up. You know, yeah. where they just yeah, that's you, yeah. you 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 snipped lines from every other giallo script, and then you just started picking them, and you were <laughs> assembling them like your you know William S. Burroughs of giallo or yeah. something. <laughs> uh, but that you know, it's funny is that 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 the second film today, which was made by the same director, Umberto Lenzi, and was his immediate follow-up to Seven Bloodstained Orchids, is completely different. I mean, honestly, and I've, I've been trying to think of, of like, in a comparison, I can't think of any two more different films from the same filmmaker that are in the same genre made back-to-back. Not like, oh, I, you know. Oh, back-to-back. Back-to-back. Okay, same filmmaker, same job. Not like Wes Craven making Scream and Music of the Heart. Obviously, those are different, totally different kinds of movies. Well, I, I was even thinking of uh, like Baba with Blood and Black Lace, but then Bay of Blood is you know, a number not, of years later, the and there film. was you yeah, know there was yeah. a, a number of films in between, and so he, <laughs> Lindsay followed up Seven Bloodstained Orchids with our second film today, also from 1972. This is Knife of Ice. Umberto Lenzi and Antonio Troisi, Knife of Ice reunites Lenzi with American actress Carol Baker, who starred in his earlier three Gialli that were made prior to Bird with the Crystal Plumage. The plot is loosely inspired by the 1946 film The Spiral Staircase, although Lenzi's film radically departs from that movie, really only keeping the basic concept of a mute woman being menaced in an isolated rural area. Rob, have you ever seen The Spiral Staircase? I have not. It's terrific. Yeah. I have seen it, and it is. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a great like 40s black and white kind of semi-gothic uh, thriller, kind of coming, you know, in, in the end of that golden age of... of, of uh, of classic Hollywood horror films from the thirties and forties. And it's really good. It's like, it's not quite horror. It's more of a thriller, but it's, I really, I really like that movie. Um, this is quite different just for the record. I could imagine that this is very different from <laughs> that era of Hollywood. The mute woman is, is the, is the key thing. The mute woman and the, and the rural setting. In addition to Carol Baker, this film stars also Alan Scott, Evelyn Stewart, George Regard, and Franco Fantasia, who plays a police detective in both of today's films. I want to. I want to, the film opens, and I want to mention this at the beginning because it's 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 something it's unusual. Uh, it opens with footage from a Spanish bullfight, and I mean real footage. And to be perfectly honest, it is brutal and horrible. It is graphic. And it is prolonged. And I got to be honest, I'm not even sure why it's there. We'll talk about it more as we go on. But I'm, there's, they, they go back to it a number of times, like like a flashback. And I just, like, it, it, this is not like On Her Majesty's Secret Service where you get a little bit of a bullfight just to establish there in Spain. And it's really just the bull chasing a guy around a ring. This is the murder of a bull. And it is 
brutal and awful and it it, it kind of put me off at the beginning yeah i mean and it is um as you say there's no story payoff necessarily. still don't know why it's there it doesn't i i have a suspicion it's there for um kind of emotional metaphor reasons but yeah. um we'll, we can get there when we get there i also want to give a warning to everyone chris though oh oh another one if if you sit down to watch knife of ice do not expect a literal knife of ice because there's something else at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it is the literal the knife of ice is a metaphor, and the metaphor is summed up at, at a quote that happens sort of at the end of the bullfight sequence that says, "Fear is a knife of ice which penetrates the senses down to the depth of conscience," and it's an, a quote from Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and and the quote on screen is misspelled. <laughs> the word witch is misspelled. I don't know. I just like, it's a, uh, so it's a metaphor. Yeah, I found that charming. charming. Yeah. So <laughs> I will say, cause you had, you watched this before me. You wanted a literal knife of ice. I texted you. Is this, is there a literal knife of ice or is this a metaphor like the cat of nine tails? And then you sent me the quote and I cried a little. Uh, <laughs> cause I was like, Oh, and the fact that the blade melts is going to be like a, you know, oh, yeah. throw like, off the investigation, etc. I think there's like an old no. Sherlock Holmes, like one of the Basil Rathbone ones where someone gets shot with a bullet made of frozen blood. And then the blood, you know, it is like, I, I don't know if that would really work in real life, but I think that is one of the old Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, stop, stop speculating on if that would work in real life, Chris. I already have to testify against you in court for one thing. Let's not <laughs> add to the list. This series is dangerous for your future. <laughs> this, this series is putting me behind bars. That's, you know... Uh, <laughs> So, but I, I do want to, again, the bullfight thing I do want to mention, because if you're someone who's triggered by violence against animals, uh, I should, you should know that going oh, in. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's a brutal, nasty it's and brutal horrific and terrible. And, yeah. And the, the, the movie revolves around Martha Caldwell, who's been mute since childhood when she witnessed a train crash that killed both of her parents. And she lives in this remote town in the Pyrenees mountains of Spain with her uncle. And when the movie opens, she's waiting to pick up her cousin, Jenny, a famous singer who's coming to visit the family. And Martha communicates with hand gestures, which as far as I can tell, are not real sign language whatsoever. Not to my, not to my knowledge. As well as tapping on the phone with like a coin. Like she keeps. (laughs) Yeah. And, and as far as I can tell, that tapping is not Morse code of any. No, kind. it's not um, Morse code. But like, but everybody knows it's her. Like like early in the film, we see her call her doctor, Doctor Laurent, and like the phone tapping. I mean, I guess I could buy it. In limited circumstances, like presumably the doctor's office knows her well and knows that's a thing. So like, oh, they hear that tapping, they know it's her. Well, and and so you've got. You're opening with random bullfighting footage. You get your like creepy quote. Then you're at the train station. You're introducing your main character who is mute. Uh, also, at this point, this train station, I think, is being shot through eight layers of diffusion uh, on the <laughs> well, lens. It's a fog, Rob. It's very foggy in the Pyrenees. It is. It is always foggy. And sometimes fog looks like something smeared a- across the lens. Uh, sometimes it is a fog machine, but I, I, I say all of this to, 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 you know, at least go back to the last movie when it felt very, um, in the sixties, very crime oriented. Not that this isn't crime oriented, but this is already visually getting a little more dreamlike. 
Uh, and you're going to, you go further with that later into the mind and the mental space. Psychological. It's psychological, Rob. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I, 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 I gotta, I gotta, uh, I think I owe an apology. I just, I just think at nine weeks in my brain is starting to go. Like I, 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 it's, I have giallo brain. That's it. I have giallo brain. Well, and, and this is the one that Riz did music for. Yes, I believe. Yeah, I believe. And yes. I also am going to preload you and the listeners with the fact that uh, this, and I usually I get to watch the whole movie. This one I watched the first hour, and I just I was like falling asleep, not because of the movie, but I was just tired. Yeah, so yeah, I turned life, it off. Life, life intervenes, you know. I understand. It happens. Yeah, and then the next day, and I'm, and by the way. I take notes during the movies, oh, yeah. right? So the next day I realized, I think I need to go back a half hour and sure. watch from minute 30 <laughs> to the end. It didn't help. <laughs> I still was just as lost. Oh, like, God. Um, all right. So Jenny arrives and um, and they are driven back to the house by the family chauffeur, Marcos. Who is the creepiest dude in any Giallo movie so far? He's so overtly creepy. I'm like, well, there's no way he's the killer. It's just too obvious. And and you know, they're driving through the fog, and man, it is some serious fog. Like, I really honestly I kind of dug it. I kind of dug the fog. I'm like, ooh, that's a good way. Rather than some rear projection bullshit behind the car, just have a whole bunch of fog. It's just a lot of fog. This is like you expect zombie pirates to walk out of this fog. Oh, yeah. No, yes. absolutely. And, and, and at one point, Marcos pulls the car over because the engine is overheating. And he says, the engine's overheating. I'd better turn it off before it explodes. You're awfully calm about that, pal. Like it's and then, you know, Marcos goes to look for help. And while he's gone. A man with the strangest eyes appears next to the car. Like they're so weird, and it's almost like they're like like they're tie dyed eyes. Like it's so strange. It, it's like they're all giant black pupils, and that pupil is has these like streaks of. It's like a flecked like light blue, aqua blue kind of looking thing. So weird. And I've become because I'm now in Giallo world at this point. I'm just assuming they're contact lenses. I'm like, oh, it's contact lenses. Spoiler, they are not. It's just his fucked up eyes. A refreshing change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the weird eye guy disappears and Marcos returns to the car saying, and again, super calmly. Unfortunately, I had no luck. We'll have to keep going. Dude, a minute ago, the car was going to explode. Like, you can't walk where you go. Like, just, like, go call for a tow truck from the house. And I just, it's the weirdest thing, man. I just, I was like, Marcos, I don't know. I wouldn't want him working for me. Yeah, I mean, he says everything throughout this movie as if it's the last thing you will hear alive. It's the last thing you will hear alive. And he's a catty, catty bitch. Well, that too. Yeah. Um, so they get to the house, which is this beautiful and modern, but remote house. And there is, I I will say this, there's a palpable atmosphere to this movie. And it it, it took me a while to sort of realize what it reminded me of. But in the sixties and early seventies, the British studio hammer films, in addition to their Gothic horror, like Frankenstein and Dracula, they made a series of what could be described as Hitchcock esque thrillers beginning with 1961's taste of fear and continuing with films like maniac, 
paranoiac, nightmare, fanatic, and crescendo. And this film really feels like one of those. It has, it just totally has the same vibe as those hammer psychological horror thrillers. And uh, we meet Martha's family, who, including her ascot wearing Uncle Ralph. Uh, he loves his ascots. Um, her, her doctor and family friend, Dr. Laurent, uh, and Christina, the teenage daughter of a family friend who is now being cared for by her uncle, who is the local priest. And I, for a minute, thought, oh, are we going to have two killer priest movies in a row? Ding, 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 ding. Priest alert. Yep. I mean, but, you know, well, we'll, we'll have to find out. I don't want to. Um, one, one thing I do know, not to jump the gun, is we're going to have more weird medallion things. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, very <laughs> some very weird medallions. Uh, there's there's more than one. Uh, and so that night, so they, they have a party and, you know, everybody's meeting people. And, and that night, Jenny hears a noise in the village. She goes to the garage and where she's stabbed to death by this sort of classic giallo black glove killer. And the next day, nobody knows where she is and it, her until her body is found under the car when Christina, the, the teenage girl, notices red paint on her hands after going to the garage. And, and when, like uh, uh, Martha tastes it to see if it's what it is. I'm like, don't taste it, even if it is paint. Like, don't like they were using lead in paint, I'm guessing, in Italy in 1972. Don't taste that. Or Spain. Spain. It's safer than the milk. <laughs> but uh, what I, I'll say when they when they're in the garage uh, it, you know, next day after you know murders already happened. You there's that there's a great shot where that cat is uh, crawling on the garage floor and the camera is low on the other side of the car shooting underneath where you can see the cat in the background. But that's and the dead body is there. That's the reveal. It's a cool, cool shot. It really is. So the the, the cops come and, and you know, the, of course, and, and they initially, they run right to the sex maniac theory because it's Giallo. The cops are going to just assume it's a sex maniac. But what the cops know that nobody else does is that another girl was found dead in a ditch not far away, killed earlier that night. We're going to come back to that that dead girl in the ditch. Uh, Marcos, because he's a little bitch, tries to throw Dr. Laurent under the bus by mentioning he saw him coming back to the house later that night and insinuates an affair between Dr. Laurent and the housekeeper, Annie, which she denies. Uh, and come to think of it, we never find out if they were actually having an affair. Like, that's an unanswered question. Like, were they, were they, were they, were they boning it? I don't know. Chris, <laughs> what consenting adults do in Giallo land is... <laughs> Nobody's business unless uh, blood is spilled. Oh, uh, inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. This whole thing to me, you, you you mentioned the hammer stuff. This whole thing to me, especially with all of this soap opera stuff, <laughs> this feels like an episode of Dark Shadows just without vampires or werewolves, where it's just like it's gone horribly awry. Though. <laughs> like, you know, it, yes. it feels very yes. much that way. Yes. Absolutely. Um, The guy with the weird eyes shows up again, creeping around the cemetery where where Jenny's being buried. And the police find where he's creeping around the cemetery. He's watching the funeral. And the the police find a medallion with a satanic goat symbol on it. And then, Rob, that is when it occurred to me who might be behind all of the trouble. The people against goodness and normalcy. Yeah. P-A-G-A-N. Pagan. The Satan-worshipping organization featured in the 1987 classic 
Dragnet. This has all the trappings of Reverend Worley and his crew. Yeah, the uh, the depictions of Satanism, such as they are in this movie, are, shall we say, from the square perspective. <laughs> Don't forget <laughs> your goat leggings. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am just... Uh, uh, the lack of artistry, frankly, in the painted goat heads in blood <laughs> that keep popping up, i it's its a particular offense. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Satans are much, Satanists are much more aesthetic than absolutely. this movie gives them credit for. Yes. Oh, no, there's no question. I, it, and, and, and Dr. Laurentis says, oh, he had the eyes of a madman. Or more likely, a drug addict. I'm like, well, okay, all right, you know, that's where, um, and you know, maybe he's not wrong. Uh, and as it happens, Uncle Ralph happens to be an expert on the occult. Now, Rob, is that a coincidence or perhaps something more sinister? Spoiler, it's a coincidence. Yeah, as is everyone giving him like all these crazy books on, you know. The occult and like yeah. everybody like, oh, what should we bring back for Uncle Ralph? Oh, you know, oh, here's weird, you know, like, you know, here's the 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 satanic Bible or here's, you know, the 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 grand grimoire or something like that. It's, uh, you know, it's he, he has in the background. You can see he has the Necronomicon at one point in his <laughs> office. He does. It's like on the spine in big letters as you have on the real Necronomicon. You just as have it on the spine. <laughs> Published by, published by Random Penguin, you know, circa 1969. Yes. You know, yeah. When I'm an old man um, next year, uh, anyone can also just bring me random crazy ass books. That's all that I want as well. Uh, do you do you want to wear a succession of ascots as well as you are reading those books? Sitting, I'll do it for the books. I'll do it for the books. <laughs> Um, I, I love that it gives him a, a, a chance to sort of sum up the theme of the movie in this monologue, this fantastic monologue that he gives about like how evil can take root in the most unlikely of places. It's strange, but you know, devil worshippers have always flourished. There are people that have hell in their souls. Do you remember the case of the witches of Bel Air a few years ago? It was a sudden reaction. No one knows why. Mm, but sometimes evil explodes in unrestrained manifestations. I could be wrong, but I think that the man who lost that medallion is a devil worshipper, a wretched creature possessed by a perverse desire for blood. He mentions a case about the witches of Bel Air. I want to know more about that. I want the movie about the witches of Bel Air. Like that's like that's a that's that's intriguing. Little known fact: the witches of Bel Air, uh, they got bullied in their bad neighborhood in Philly. In Philly, I think yeah, it South was. Philly, yeah, yeah. And then they had to go to their uncle's coven. In yes, in that's Bel-Air. all how it happened. And then yes, yeah, that's it. That is it. Uh, Martha goes to pick up her late cousin's luggage at the train station and finds a picture of the two of them that I swear to God looks like the picture that comes with the frame. <laughs> like there's something about it. Like it just, and she keeps having the flashbacks of her and Jenny attending a bullfighting match, but I'm honestly not clear when that was supposed to have happened. Like I'm, I'm just like, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's this thing she keeps flashing back to and like, I, I just, I don't understand why or what the hell it means. This is more than just a flashback because it's crazy Yeah, because you'll, you kind of, what you get, I, you get some version of like an ECU and extreme close up on Martha and then it just, you know, f- flash cuts 
to Jenny. Screaming. Yeah, in that same, like, kind of ECU. And then you get some bullfighting action. And it's all very fast and choppy and quite disorienting in that way. Uh, it's not like a, hmm, I remember the past. Stylistically, the closest thing to me that it reminds me of is, like, in old movies when they try to do a witch using her powers, right? Like, absolutely. You would be like mentally, boom, boom. Um, anyway, the teenager Christina gives Martha a, what I'm certain, what I'm absolutely certain is an unlicensed Snoopy pendant uh, that, and with the warning that she should never take it off. So I guess those, those are the two pendants. You have the, you have the pagan pendant and you have the Snoopy pendant and which are you going to choose? Why not both? (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, throw in a Donald Duck doll while you're at it. Oh, we'll get to the Donald (laughs) Duck doll. (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. My jaw dropped. Like it was more like it was, I couldn't believe it when I saw the Donald Duck doll. It was like seeing the poison milk in the last movie. I'm like, oh my God, it's back. I had no idea of that this was on the sub checklist. Yeah, <laughs> none. The cops find the pagan temple and it looks like someone there has been using morphine. And I gotta say, like this town is really beautiful, like genuinely so. There's shots of the mountains in the background, and I'm like, this looks like a really nice place to live, if not for everybody being super creepy and, you know, all of the murder. Yeah, I think it's also around this time. I just, I, you know, they're all very small moments, but there are a few of them. Yeah. Uh, so it's at this point that I remarked um, the number of times that the doctor tells Martha to calm down is insane. <laughs> like, this is like pretty much she will, you know, like, oh, I saw this crazy thing or I'm worried someone's going to die. It's just a calm down, honey. Calm down. And that uh, doctor, I mean, I don't often, I don't often point he's out. He's a bad doctor. He's a bad actor. I'm sorry. Like, I don't often want to call out like bad acting, like, but but that guy's just bad. Like, I don't know if the, if this, like he was done dirty by the dub. Could be. But like, it it, it is just, there's something about, it's just like, it's so stilted and off kilter. And because yeah. like, Uncle Ralph, by uh, contrast, is great. I loved Uncle Ralph. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to sit and talk, uh, you know, the left-handed path with that guy, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'm down. I, I, there's no question. Uh, and, and I love everybody. This this movie, just like the last one, everybody gets that lingering guilty shot. Like where, like, you know, Martha will have an interaction and then, like, Martha will leave and we're left on the, the person's face, and it just, they look suspicious. They look suspicious. So so much so, this is, I guess, this is an anti-spoiler, but I, I think uh, it's okay, so I'm going to say it. So, Chris, they were selling it so much that there was a good 10 minutes at a certain point of this movie <laughs> that I was convinced we were getting a wicker man. That <laughs> literally yeah. the yeah. entire town were yeah. Satanists and pretending not to be. Uh, yes. And that they were all in on the killing. I, I yeah. had the same, I had the same thought. It, that is not how it went, but that was, uh, it definitely it was like, well, that would have been something. Uh, and the housekeeper, she's on her way home on a bicycle because Marcos told her the car was having trouble. And she encounters a tree with a pagan symbol drawn on it, seemingly in blood. And sometime later, the housekeeper's gone missing. Dr. Laurent shows up at the house with like a spot of blood on his pants. And he explains that away by saying he was doing some first aid on a patient, which Rob, that's a completely reasonable explanation. Given the fact that his job is that he is a doctor. It is only remotely suspicious because of the way he says it. 
Like the ways is it's <laughs> like, oh, uh, I must uh, uh, slip first aid. Like everybody in this movie acts guilty. And uh, and then, oh, by the way, the housekeeper turns up dead. Are we getting to when they're going to leave Martha at the house to investigate the murders? And uh, oh no, uncle, that's Uncle Ralph. I it's mean, Uncle Ralph, where, yeah. Because he has a very odd thing that he leaves Martha with where he says, <laughs> this is now your chance to redecorate the apartment like you've wanted to for so long. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what? Yeah. Uh, Even I don't yeah, understand. The, the, way, the way that she's treated in this thing is it, it makes um, <laughs> how they treated Anna last movie like, <laughs> super upfront because she's going to stay behind while you investigate the murderers while a murderer is out there and she gets to redecorate. She gets to redecorate. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's... and I find a clue that I'm totally not going to give to her. Oh, <laughs> uh, by the way, there's, there's a, uh, a, a, not long after the housekeeper is murdered, a black envelope addressed to Martha is slipped under the front door of the villa with a pagan card inside. Or at least a symbol of a goat on a black black paper. And does uh, is that given to Martha? Uh, no, no, not given nope, to Martha. Nope. It is a signature move, though, of the people against goodness and normalcy. Ah, P A G A N. Christina gives Martha a hard time about not wearing the Snoopy pendant. Like she's not got the Snoopy pendant on. She says, "Oh, I was." She is like freaked at this point. I'm thinking she's the murderer. Like oh, how hardcore so, yeah. she is about the Snoopy pendant thing. Oh, and I was like, Martha, I, the kid is lucky Martha's mute because I'm thinking to myself, if I if that was me, I'd be like, I'll make my own fashion choices, kid. If you think this Snoopy pendant is going to come back and matter, you are sorely mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. Not at all. There's one night where one dark and stormy night where Uncle Ralph, who has a, has a heart problem, is uh, is doing particularly badly. The power goes out. And, and there's a sequence, it really does, I, I gotta say, this movie has got some weird stuff, and, and, but it, it, I think in, there's some aspects of it that really capture what I would call a modern gothic atmosphere. It's not, it's not castles in, the, in, the, in you know, the hills of Carpathia kind of gothic. You know, the house is very modern, but there is a sensibility uh, that I think it does get. Like there's a bit where Martha's walking around the dark house with a candle in her bathrobe, and it feels like a scene out of Rebecca or The Innocents. And and it for a second, I actually thought that the last half hour of this movie was going to follow the spiral staircase, which that movie takes place basically is set in a single house over the course of a single night. And I thought it was like, oh, is the last half hour going to be like spiral staircase? But no, it, it's not. That was I was I was getting ahead of myself there, admittedly. Um, the police notice that the gates of the villa are open. They go inside. They find Martha on the floor at the top of the stairs, having been attacked. Although we don't see that attack happen, which was like honestly, I was watching the movie and I thought for a minute had like a scene been skipped or something like that. This was the first time that you had that thought come <laughs> up, Chris. Because well, let me tell you, I've been having that thought about every reel. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh my god. It's honestly at this point it's part of the charm. I, I feel I've just been <laughs> Me, real missing. It's, it's like, god. Uh, so like finally the police they catch the man with the weird eyes and he's a British hippie 
named Woody Mason. He's a morphine user and a practitioner of black magic. And he's dressed in a cape that that feels like he stepped out of a 70s hammer horror film like Dracula AD 1972 or something like that. Um, and, And once he's captured, he denies killing anyone. And they bring in Martha to ID the guy. And it's, I was this was cracked me up. What do they do? They they put him in a lineup, or do they have her look through like a one way mirror? No, they just bring him into the office where she's sitting talking with the detective. Like way to protect her identity if he is the killer. Like what what the fuck? Yeah, and then they they ask, "Is this the guy?" And she's like, "No, and, uh, I don't know. I can't tell. No. I didn't see him." She she didn't see the face or the eyes. She only saw the outline. Right, I think is what has how it's turned. Yeah, the silhouette. Yeah, we're gonna get some cop shenanigans about now too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the first thing is that Martha, Martha gives Christina a present, a a Donald Duck toy, and I just said, "Oh my god, I hope that girl doesn't rip its head off." Because, like you, I was thinking maybe the teenager's the killer. Like, you know, the the most disturbing thing about it is that it's Donald Duck's head, but it's not like Donald Duck where he's on two feet. He's not anthropomorphized. It's a duck's body, so it's like like a duck swimming in water. And it's motorized and goes around. That is not Donald Duck's body, which somehow made it creepier. Much, much creepier. Yeah, yeah no, it was it was upsetting. And, <laughs> and, you know, shortly afterwards, like, they're playing, like, a game of what I would guess is Blind Man's Bluff, where Martha's blindfolded, and Christina is taken. Like, she just disappears. And shortly thereafterwards found dead and i'm like oh shit this is taking a turn where they're killing the killing the girl like oh shit like the young girl i didn't expect that admittedly no i didn't see it coming um and uh you know it's actually a pretty chilling sequence when uh martha takes off her blindfold and then realizes that that you know christine's not there and then is trying to scramble and get people she can't yell first so she claps she starts clapping clapping and then has to go and get help and and just the the slow it it builds very nicely as you start to gather people get the search party to go and then and then end in the death the discovery of the body it's it's really good sequence and then the police decide to exhume the body of the girl found in the ditch so they can do an autopsy now I'm just saying, maybe they ought to have done the autopsy before they buried her instead of having to do it like Burke and Hare style. The autopsy confirms what Woody Mason told the police, that the girl died of a heroin overdose. But I can't figure out why they didn't do an autopsy to begin with. This is not a 90-year-old woman who died in her sleep. This is a girl they found in a fucking ditch the same day as another murder. They don't do an autopsy just as a matter of course? This is how the police operate in Franco, Spain. I'll say that. It was still Franco, Spain at this point, uh, I would think. Uh, so who knows? You know, uh, Uncle Ralph has a heart attack and is taken to the hospital. And Dr. Lorenz said it was his second heart attack in two days. And I'm like, why was he already in the hospital if he had a heart attack two days ago? Like, why was he up and about? And an off-screen heart attack at that, right? Like we didn't see that, and but it is it is Chekhov's heart problem though. It is you know they established the heart problem early on, but then we find out he died, like he's dead, and it's like oh shit. So I think we're, we'll put in our spoiler line here if you want to avoid the final revelation uh, at at the end of uh, at the end of Knife of Ice. Uh, you could skip to the to the to the next chapter. But Dr. Lorette leaves town to make arrangements to send Uncle Ralph's body back to England for burial. 
because uh, an Englishman should always be buried in English soil, he says something like. And Martha's told the police officer will be outside the house at all times, uh, at least unless the next guy is late for his shift and the guy that's supposed to get off at 10 o'clock just leaves, which is what happens. Yep. He's got somewhere to be. He was told 10. He was told his shift ends at 10. He leaves at 10. If the other guy hasn't showed up, that's his problem. And what's even better is that this guy is actually more professional than the next guy who does come <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yeah, the next guy like gets close to the house and then gets a call on the radio to investigate an accident or something. It's just like, fuck. Hey, is this like, oh, yes, I will go to the accident scene instead of saying, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm on don't have the lady get killed duty. <laughs> That might be also important. Right. right, Uh, Maybe the fender bender could go to someone else. Right. (laughs) Uh, And then in what is genuinely a shocking turn of events, Uncle Ralph turns up alive and well and walking out of the police station. And someone enters the house. They're using a set of keys. And the cops, again, they're, 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 they're... they're not there. Uh, and we get a pretty like suspenseful game of cat and mouse. Like the intruder, he kicks that, that bizarre ass Donald duck toy down the stairs. Although it, it does keep on ticking. Uh, and Martha flees the house and she runs. There's a graveyard not far away that they've established earlier that, you know, is nearby the house. And she runs into the graveyard. The figure is pursuing her through the night and she takes refuge in a crypt where she finds like a police uniform and pistol. And then we see that the man following her is Marcos, the guy who I thought was too creepy to be the killer. Uh, and she shoots him. Several times. Several times. But the gun is loaded with blanks. And as Marcos reaches out for her, Martha at last screams. And soon, Dr. Laurent, Uncle Ralph, and the detective soon join them, and the truth is revealed. And let me tell you what the truth isn't. <laughs> the truth, for a minute... For just one minute, for a split second, I thought, is this the April Fool's Day of Gialli? I had the same thought. Was this all an elaborate scheme where they're going to go, you're cured? <laughs> yes. We need to frighten Hearst enough that your voice will come back. I had the same thought. <laughs> that is not it. I mean, frankly, but that is what I no, thought for a split it. second. I was like, oh, this is what it is. It's all like, yeah. some bizarre medical treatment. That is not the the the, the resolution. Here's here's the truth. Martha murdered Jenny, the housekeeper, and Christina. And we get this series of flashbacks where we see Martha committing the murders. Apparently, she was jealous of Jenny's voice, and then she killed the other two to cover it up. She killed Christina after she found the Snoopy pendant in the woods near the second murder, and she even staged the attack on herself. So while Uncle Ralph actually had a heart attack, he survived, and then they sort of, we're going to let this, we're going to trap her and in, 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 in let it play out. And, and I got to be honest, Rob, this ending left me open mouthed in shock. Like, I, I, I got to say, they completely got me. I am not sure if it holds up. I am not sure if it makes sense, but it, it certainly got me. You know, this is one of those things uh, every now and again, I just throw my hands up and say, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't actually do this job on the podcast (laughs) because we've had similar shock endings in other Gialli, right? Sure. And, and for the most part, they all have been shocking. And, and, you know, oftentimes I'm like, Ooh, cool ending. This whole movie, including this ending though, I, I literally just felt dumb this whole movie. 
And the thing is, is it's this one's actually very simple. They're not even really investigating at all, Frank. No, not like, really. There, there's there's not much of an investigation, and the cast of characters, you know, it's a little larger group, but it's it's not like they keep bringing in new person after new person as can happen in a Giallo sure. film. Uh, an identical twin sister in the in the the last act. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get the double mint twins at the end of one, but this one, <laughs> I it doesn't have any of that. It shouldn't, it, it's it's fairly simple story-wise, frankly. Yeah. And so I, I cannot explain why. And I even watched the middle of this movie twice. <laughs> it, when this thing ended, I was kind of stunned, but not like stunned by the ending, just stunned. Like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot explain it. Oh. If I watch this in six months from now, it could totally be different. I don't know. I cannot explain it, Chris. I, I was fascinated by it because I just, I genuinely didn't expect that ending. I'm still not sure if Martha was aware she was doing the killing or, I mean, her staging the, the attack on herself would indicate she knew what she was doing. But at the same time, could there have been some sort of dissociative disorder at work? Um, again, I'm, 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 de- I'm delving into the psychology deeper than the filmmakers did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if the movie is going to work based on scenes that we saw of her when there was not another character around, I think there had to be a split somewhere in her mind yeah. where she did believe she was being attacked um, while smashing stuff herself. Right. Yeah. Like, because when we see her alone, she does not behave. It, it's like that one scene in Lizard and a Woman's Skid where she answers the phone and and gives a yeah. surprise fate, but like blown up to the whole movie. Like it's, it's for, that. For it's, instant, that terrible cop. I want to go back to <laughs> the second terrible cop who was watching her. Yeah. So the scene, the scene sequence is playing out as if she thinks there's someone in the house who's out to get her. Right. Right. And uh, that she thinks her life is in danger, which if she knows she's the killer, even if she thinks someone else is in the house, She's not going to think, oh, the killer's in the house because she is the killer. And yet she is totally freaking out and smashing windows, trying to get the terrible second lookout cop's attention, which can't happen because he's revving his motorcycle a bunch and going away. (laughs) Even if that was her putting on a show, once she saw that guy couldn't hear or see her, she would just be like, oh, I got to stop this. But she goes on for a very long time. Yes. That makes no sense if yeah. if there's not some sort of split or break. But it, it doesn't dive into – the wrap-up is so quick no. that it doesn't dive into the psychology. We what You know what this movie doesn't have and actually I think needed was Dr. Laurent doing the <laughs> – Explaining it all. bird with the crystal plumage, like psychological wrap-up, you know, monologue at the end. Like – you know. Somewhere in a wastebasket are script pages. Yeah. Yeah. When she saw that bullfight many years ago, this is what happened. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's exactly, exactly. It triggered the blood that she saw from the accident with her parents. She saw from the bull. She identified not with the bull, but the matador. <laughs> there, I'm just doing it. I'm writing it right now. Oh, that's it. That is that is it. If that is not, that is absolutely it. Baby, I'm not on strike anymore. This is all legit. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's. I mean, here's the thing. The difference between these two movies is Seven Bloodstained Orchids is trying to win by playing it safe. It's all like singles and doubles, but no strikeouts. There's never a strikeout. No strikeouts either. It's it's it's. 
you know, it's it is. But here, Knife of Ice is really swinging for the fences. I don't know that it 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 gets a home run, but it's not. You're not going to forget it trying. Like it's 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 really going for it. Yeah, this feels like a movie that's swinging for the fences, but instead of a ball, the bat's coming at me, and I I'm not sure why. And I leave this thing battered and bruised. But you're not going to re- forget that. Like, it's not going to just fade it. You'll remember, oh, the time the bat hit me in the face. Like, that's... Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's not going to be just another day at the ballpark. Just as Knife of Ice isn't just another Giallo. We'll remember no. this one. Well, and to be clear, I am not saying this is a bad film or that it's done poorly. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this thing befuddled me. It's imminently watchable, uh, you know. Again, I to be clear, that night I I was just very tired. This was not. Oh, oh no, no, so that's, bored. I'm going to sleep. There have been nights I've I've started movies that I shouldn't have started because I was too yeah. tired to watch any movie that that has. When when you're a man of a certain age, you, that that happens. It's just part of life, you know. Yeah. I had one less cup of coffee that day, or something. Yeah, it's that—that that is no no uh, thing on the quality. There's no no comment on the quality of the movie. But also, I, I like I sat down and I tried to figure out why. Yeah, and, and you look and I go, well, it's not because X, Y, and Z didn't make sense because I could point to <laughs> six, at least six or eight other movies that I could say the <sighs> same thing about, you know, plot wise, and it didn't leave me with this feeling. I, I I can only imagine that the uh, just the the weird dreamlike nature that they were going for really really hit you know um, I don't know <laughs> oh god oh so well I think that that brings us to the end of another episode um, join us next week for the conclusion of our get me another bird with the crystal plumage series as we explore two films both from directors whose work we featured previously that are both. I think kind of culminations of the giallo genre to this point, as well as harbingers of where things would go in the future. (laughs) (laughs) So, So join us next week for Sergio Martino's Torso and Dario Argento's Deep Red. It's going to be, it's going to be a big one, folks. It's a, we're going out, we're going out big. For our, for our last Get Me Another Bird with the Crystal Plumage series, we'll also update you on what's coming next. We're, we're planning, I'll tell you this, I'll give you a little little clue. We're planning a Christmas special. Oh, it's going to be. Dun, it's going to be dun, special. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not no, gonna, no, we'll, I was we'll, we'll sing a different song. Next week, oh, we're very excited. Song and give uh, it away. For our Get Me Another Christmas special. Um, <laughs> and again, thank you so much for listening. We are your hosts, Chris Anacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky at Get Me Another Pod. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Tell your enemies about it. Tell all the folks down at the local chapter of People Against Goodness and Normalcy about it. But they're probably already listening. And completely innocent. They're completely innocent. <laughs> completely innocent. Well. That, that's not that's, how Pagan operates. No. <laughs> that's the denoma I needed was them apologizing to all the Satanists. <laughs> Should have been a final thing coming out of the curtain. I got curtain at the end. <laughs> I've destroyed the ending. I don't care. Our ending. The podcast ending. <laughs>
Join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when studios say, get me another.